Welcome to the podcast of Saltbox Church, where we attempt to get out of the way and let the Bible speak, revealing the person and presence of King Jesus today. What beautiful worship. Man, thank you guys. Good morning. Summer appears to be drawing to a close. There's a little touch of fall in the air. I don't know if you felt it more yesterday than today, maybe, but it is there. <laughs> Apparently, that was a controversial statement. <laughs> um, welcome. Good morning. If you're uh, usually here with us, I'm Michael Mattis. I pastor Saltbox Church. If you're online, I want to look into the camera and just say welcome. Um, take your Bible. We are in Acts 10. The house lights will probably come up here in just a minute. Um, I'm going to pivot this morning off of Acts 10:38, and we're going to take a little bit more of a topical, although exegetical, approach um, to this topic that Acts 10:38 brings us. So, if you're opening a paper Bible, do it. If you're scrolling on your phone, Acts 10:38 is where we are going to start, and uh, then we will back up from there. Let me see if I can find Acts. In my Bible, <laughs> Acts 10.38, this is Peter talking, and here is what Peter says. How God anointed, everybody say anointed, Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Okay, so here's the question that I'm going to raise this morning, and we're going to attempt to answer. Um, what in the world is anointing? It's really interesting because if you look at um, the Western church, there's, there's a little bit, I might even go so far as to say, of a silent divorce between word churches and spirit churches. And word churches almost never want to touch that word anointing because it gets messy. And spirit churches want to apply it to everything. So the question is, what is it? Jesus clearly had it. And some of the things that, that I would even wrestle with this morning is people say things like, that song was so anointed. Or that preach was so, okay. And they'll say things like, um, I don't know, this moment, you know, God showed up and it was so anointed. So, so people kick it around um, who are used to using it. But my question becomes, what is it? Is it actually scriptural? Can a song even be anointed? Can a preach be anointed? Can a person be anointed? Like what, what, what is this thing called anointing? Is it biblical? And should we as Christians even be saying things like that song was? I don't know. Let's see what the word says. So here, here let, me, let me interject something here. Faithful theology isn't an enterprise in following your feelings. It's not an enterprise in following your intuition, your intelligent thinking, political correctness, or rational problem solving. Faithful theology rather is a matter of submitting to scripture wherever it leads. Follow me? Do I need to say that again? All right, let me say that again. Faithful theology isn't an enterprise in following your feelings. It's not an enterprise in following your intuition, intelligent thinking, political correctness, rational problem solving. Rather, faithful theology is a matter of submitting to Scripture, the Bible, wherever it may lead. So the question is, what does the Bible say about Anointing, that's the question. Now, let me point out something here. Um, how many of you guys, uh, this is always dangerous when I do this because it's like current whatever, but um, how many of you guys saw the movie Top Gun? All right, what's the theme song? Highway to the, that's why I'm not the worship leader. <laughs> Highway to the what? Danger zone. Now, how did all of you know that? I mean, that is amazing. Okay, so let me, let me like throw a caution out here. The grave danger of the current American evangelical, and I'd even broader it, uh, broaden it past that, the grave danger of the Western evangelical preaching scene right now is that oftentimes we approach the Bible and we uh, come with a topic or an idea or a presupposition, and then we flip through the Bible and try to support our topic, idea, or presupposition. So if we were in seminary, that would be called eisegesis, okay? 
Just a big seminary word. Um, now, exegesis is when you approach the scripture and instead of inferring or, or pushing onto the scripture your presupposition or your idea and then flipping through and try to find things that support it, you actually begin to um, look at the Bible and go, Holy Spirit, what are you speaking in it and through it? And you don't just look at the one text, but you look at the whole of scripture, the canon of scripture from Genesis to Revelation, and you begin to go, what is uh, God saying? What is this timeless spiritual truth um, and you actually leave all of your presuppositions at the door. Does that make sense? So that is what's called exegesis and that's what we try to do around here imperfectly because we are all human and in process. But that's exegesis versus eisegesis. Now the highway to the danger zone is when a pastor or preacher or writer or anyone uh, uses the Bible to support their ideas and proof texts and their sort of theology. Highway to the danger zone. So the question, as we even wrestle out, what is this anointing thing? Oh, and you know what? That was perfect timing. Do you know what that is? That is an olive wood container. Anybody know what else it is? If you're a church person, you're going to know. If you're not a church person, you're going to be like, what is this guy doing? This guy's a weirdo. That is an olive wood container. It came from a little city in the Middle East called... Jerusalem. What do you think's in it? Olive oil. Olive oil. That's right. It just says olive oil from the Holy Land on my little sticker. We're going to talk about that. Is that real? Are we called to do that? What does the Bible say about it? Like, let's take a look at this and let's leave our presuppositions at the door um, and let's engage in some healthy exegesis and look at what the Bible actually says um, about all of these things. And I'm going to put this down here so I don't knock it off again ten times before the end of my sermon. Okay, so here was, we're going to read it again. Um, Acts 10.38, and uh, David has put some scriptures behind us because I'm going to dance through some scriptures this morning. Feel free to write them down. If you want to turn, please do. If you don't, that's no problem. You can just listen. Acts 10.38. Just read it. I'm going to read it again. This is Peter speaking about the Lord Jesus, and he says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. Okay, so what was Jesus of Nazareth anointed with? Okay, so there's a connection, immediately, biblical connection, between the Holy Spirit and power and the anointing that Jesus was carrying. So the anointing is something. We don't even know what it is yet. What is this anointing? But clearly, Jesus of Nazareth, God incarnate, is anointed with the Holy Spirit. So there's a, immediately we see a connection between the Holy Spirit and this anointing. Next, I'm going to go to Luke 4. I'm just going to dance through the scriptures here this morning for just a minute. Luke 4, verses 18 and 19. This is right after Jesus was tested in the wilderness. He came out of the wilderness. He goes into a place in Nazareth. He walks into the synagogue in his home city of Nazareth, so everybody would have known him. And he picked up uh, the scroll. That day's reading was Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. They didn't have verses then, but nonetheless, it was Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And we find it in Luke 4, 18. And so Jesus stands up. He hasn't started his public ministry yet and this is what he reads the spirit of the lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the lord's favor so the spirit of the lord is on him because why he anointed him. Okay, so there's a connection now immediately between the Spirit of, and what's another name for the Spirit of the Lord? Holy Spirit, Spirit of Jesus. So uh, quick sort of um, theology lesson on God. You have God the Father, Yahweh. You have God the Son, King Jesus. And you have God the Holy Spirit. And this is clearly, uh, verse 18 is capital S, Spirit, the Holy Spirit of the Lord. That's actually uh, Yahweh Lord is on me because he has anointed me. So again, we have a connection between the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, and anointing. Okay, let's keep going. Mark 6. Thank goodness for my sticky notes. I'd never find all this. Oh, that's backwards. Okay, Mark 6. I'm going to read verse 12 and 13. If you want to make a note. 
I'm reading out of the NIV today. So uh, Jesus sent out um, a group of, I believe it was 72 at this point, but he sent out a group of people and he instructed them to take no bread and uh, to go and minister um, the gospel to people. So verse 12, here's where we pick up in Mark 6. They went out and preached that people should repent. Okay, verse 13. They drove out many demons and they anointed many sick people with... Now... Let me give you permission here this morning. If you've never had anybody or seen anybody anointed with oil, you have permission to go, boy, that sounds weird. Let's give you full permission, okay? And I don't understand this, and we're actually going to talk about it. So that's why I brought it. But that's what Jesus said to do. Now, go back to our opening statement. What is faithful theology? It is looking at what the Bible says and following where it leads regardless of our presuppositions. Okay, so we're in the journey. All right, now I'm going to flip to 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. If you're on your phone today, you have a great advantage. Rapid scrolling. It'd be helpful if I could find it. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. This is the great apostle Paul writing, and he says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, cryo, same Greek word here. He anointed us, so who's anointed? All right, so if if you're in Jesus, now if you're here today and you're like a seeker or a doubter or an atheist or in process or whatever, welcome, we're happy you're here. But uh, for, for those of you who are in Jesus, if Jesus is in you and, and you're in Jesus, it says, um, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He, what? Anointed us. You might go, well, that's weird. Well, let's see what it says. 22. He said his seal of ownership on us and he put his spirit, that's capital S spirit. So what does that mean? Holy Spirit of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, in our where? Hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what was to come. Okay. I'm going to go now to 1 John. Last verse we're going to read. 1 John chapter 2. We're going to read verse 20 and then we're going to read verse 27. 1 John, so 1 John was written by who? John the Beloved, John the Apostle, that's exactly right. And here's what he says. But you have an anointing. This is a little different. Chrisma is the Greek word. Uh, from the Holy One. Are any of you reading the NIV, or not the NIV, the King James? Anybody King James? Anybody have unction in their Bible? Nobody has unction? Not a one of you. You got, oh, I got one with unction. Okay, so the King James, if it's an old King James, not a new one, but if it's an old King James, it actually says unction here. But you have an anointing or an unction from the Holy One. Who's the Holy One? Jesus or Holy Spirit. Okay, and all of you know the truth. Okay, now go down to verse 26. We'll read 26 and 27. I am writing these things to you um, about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing, chrisma, you received from him remains in you. Who's him? Jesus, or the Holy Spirit of God. And you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things. Now, isn't it interesting? Suddenly here the anointing has like a personhood or a personality. How can an anointing teach you? Follow my thinking? Okay. But his anointing teaches you about all things, and just as the anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it taught you, remain in him. Okay, let's pray, and then let's see if we can open the word together. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would enliven our hearts, and you would allow us to see the truth of your word, and make really bold application um, from your word into our lives. We give you full permission. Amen. Okay, so here's what we're going to try to do. We're going to take a a, a kind of an overview of anointing. What is it? Old and New Testament. Uh, We're going to talk about Christ's anointing for just a minute. Um, We're going to like really try to define anointing. What does this even mean? 
Um, then we're going to look at quickly at the five ways this was used in the Old Testament, the word anointing. Um, we're going to talk about how this God interacts with us. And then we're going to talk about the anointing of every believer and then unique calling and anointing. And then we're going to flip it at the very end and go, okay, can we lose anointing? Sound good? So, and here's the question that, that as, we, as we go through, I want us to be able to answer at the end of this is, can we biblically say a song's anointed or a preach is anointed? And typically, most of the time when I hear Christians use it, it has to do with like things that make you feel warm and fuzzy. You know what I'm saying? That felt good. So, you know, I could turn it on a radio and it could be a non-Christian, you know, totally secular song and it could make me feel good. Well, is that anointed? How about this one? Just I'm, let me be silly with you for just a second. Um, let's say I'm playing football with my kids. I turn my face. The football hits me in the jaw, knocks a couple teeth out. I have to go in for oral surgery. In the process, I share Jesus with a nurse. The nurse comes to Christ. Was the football anointed? Like, I don't hear Christians going around saying, oh, man, that football that knocked his teeth out, that was anointed. Okay, but let's, let's, let's open it. Let's, like, let's move that way. So, okay, anointing overview. Um, I w- as I look through all of the texts that we just read, I would say very simply to you, the anointing becomes in the New Testament another word for the Holy Spirit of God. It's synonymous with the Holy Spirit of God. It's one of John, the Apostle John's special words for the Spirit. <clears throat> in former generations, if we went back a few generations, well, people would talk about, wow, that preacher preached with unction. And unction was a more popular word um, than anointing. And that comes from what we just talked about in James or in 1 John 2.20, um, where that it was translated as unction instead of anointing. The dictionary uh, would define um, anointing merely as the application of ointment or oil. So in other words, you could anoint your arm, you could anoint your head, you could anoint really whatever you wanted to anoint. It's applying oil. In the Roman Catholic Church, um, it's often called extreme unction, but one of the seven sacraments of the Roman Catholic Church um, was actually uh, used when a person is used, when a person is dying. It's based on James 5.14 that says, Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. There is no indication that I can find in that text that it should only be used when someone is dying. But when you look at this word, this Greek word, and we just read it now a number of times, um, it's, it is uh, unction or it's translated chrisma or cryo. Um, cryo is interesting in Greek. Cryo is X-R-I-O. This is important, so hang with me a second. Um, people get all uh, frustrated and bent out of shape, and they say they're taking Christ out of Christmas because they remove the Christ and put in a... But here's the thing. X in Greek actually means Christ. Really interesting. So cryo, um, X-R-I-O, means to anoint or um, it's like the the rubbing or pouring of olive oil on someone. And it's where we get Christ. It means king. I'm going to open that in in, in just a minute. Um, So let's let's even pivot right there into this. What is Christ's anointing? Because we started with Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit anointed Jesus. What does this even mean? Okay. So Christ's anointing, cryo, uh, it, it, that word underlines Christ. It means Messiah. It means anointed one. It means king. That's why you hear me say a lot of times King Jesus because Christ isn't like a first name. It's like a title. It's like king, the rightful sovereign, um, King Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth. So <clears throat> um, it, this word is a little bit different than the word um, charisma, which usually refers to someone's electrifying personality, um, or even charismata, which we'll talk about in a minute, but that mainly refers to the, the spirit-empowered gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but nonetheless, cryo, charismata, um, charisma are nonetheless all the result of the anointing or the working of the Holy Spirit of God. Okay. So Christ's anointing then is What? The Holy Spirit. We just read it in several texts. What is Christ's anointing? It is the Holy Spirit. So let's shift here. Let's just say that if anointing is just another, it appears to be throughout the scripture, another word for the Holy Spirit. um, Let's then look at the Old Testament because it shifts between Old and New Testament. So there's five ways I can find that the the word anointing is used in the Old Testament. Um, First, it refers to 
oil, often mixed with spices, myrrh, cinnamon, cane, um, cassia. They're made into a sacred anointing oil. Um, And if you look at Exodus 30, uh, you will actually see the oil is used to anoint the tent of meeting. Um, It's also used to anoint the table and its articles, its lampstands, its accessories. So today it would be like us coming in here and you guys going around and anointing all this. Well, we better anoint the speaker and we better anoint the chair. And sometimes Christians do that. Well, and that's not necessarily wrong, but that's very Old Testament. And we now live in the New Testament. That's right. So, okay. Um, So the first way is it actually refers to olive oil. um, And the anointing oil, anything it touched, was then said to be holy. Uh, Secondly, anointing refers to the consecration of priests. So the same oil um, was poured actually on Aaron's head in the Old Testament and on his sons. It was a very, very serious matter. If you want to look that up, it's Leviticus 8, Leviticus 10, Leviticus 21, um, or Numbers 4. Uh, But um, the way they set apart the um, priests was actually to pour oil on their head. And this wouldn't be done just like a drip, drip. This is like... I mean oil. So now let's just think about this for a minute. You, you, I don't have hair. I'm a bald guy. But if, we ha- if I had hair and if I had beard and you poured oil, like a you know, quart of olive oil on my head, it's now, what, what's it doing to my hair? It's all up in my hair. What about my beard? I mean, it's up in my pores. It's in my eye. It's like it is everywhere. It is like all over me. Now what's it doing to my clothes? Dripping down my clothes. What's it doing all the way down to my sandaled feet? Okay, now, in the Old Testament, the uh, anointing oil is used as a precursor or as a symbol of the Holy Spirit in the new. So, the oil is poured down, and literally the oil gets into every pore. It is all over you. It is like, I mean, it is, you are, um, and in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on you. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit actually comes in you. It's interesting. The Spirit of Jesus lives in you. Okay, so the uh, first it referred to, okay, olive oil mixed with spices. Uh, secondly, it refers to the consecration of the priests. Third, the anointing oil refers to the consecration of the kings. If you're reading about in the one-year Bible with us a couple books ago, we just read about um, Saul being anointed by Samuel, and in order to anoint him, Samuel took a big, a, a big horn of oil, so it's like a big cow or um, bull's horn of oil, and what's he do? Dumps it on him, symbolizing what? The Holy Spirit of God has chosen you, anointed you, set you apart, and called you to be king. Okay. And then when um, God removes um, sort of the anointing from King Saul, um, and actually, uh, and, and then Saul goes and anoints David, same thing. He goes and kind of anoints David secretly, but he dumps this oil on him. In that moment, Saul still has his kingly position, but the anointing or the empowering of the Holy Spirit has now passed to David. Okay, well done. So the third thing is anointing refers to the consecration of kings. Okay, fourthly, um, and I think this is probably most important, the anointing in the Old Testament becomes very closely associated with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is probably part of the Godhead that is most misunderstood, not talked about, and I think even worth our conversation this morning. In the Old Testament, the oil becomes a symbol of God's Holy Spirit. And then, you know, what, what is amazing to me, and I, I just have to say, is um, a point of, confusion is the wrong word, but there is mystery here. Like Jesus sends out everybody and he tells them in Mark 6, we just read it, to do what? Anoint them with oil. And like there is a mystery here that I don't understand. In James, it tells us if you're sick, anoint with Now, do I think that every time we pray, like, should everyone have a big jug of anointing oil and bring it out? Probably not. But scripturally, if we set aside our presuppositions and our cultural norms, scripture is pretty clear on the mandate. Would you agree? James 5, let's just cross-reference this while we're sitting in it. Let's see if I have a, a note. James 5, verse 14 and 15, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and... Anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer offered in faith will make them well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. 
Okay, so it's inescapable, and it's like a lot of times when stuff makes us uncomfortable as believers, we just go, well, we just won't talk about it. We'll just avoid it, right? But I think you have to look at it. All right, so <clears throat> the fifth use of the word in the Old Testament that I can find is it's the prophets were said to be anointed, and there is no, there's no oil. So what were they anointed with? Spirit of God. What is the Spirit of God? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. Um, so when Jesus ascended, we talked about this months and months ago, but when Jesus ascended or was coronated, crowned king, after he was resurrected from the dead and he went back to his heavenly home and took his seat beside the right hand of the Father, he then released the Holy Spirit like a big jug of oil. And that's the breakout that we just read about a few Sundays ago in Pentecost. So the Holy Spirit, the oil of the Old Testament actually it has becomes the person of the new. It's why the anointing is going to teach you because the anointing is a person. His name is the Holy Spirit. That's right. So that's the, that, the kind of the way that all sort of fits together. So let's uh, shift here for just a second. Um, the uh, the way a, and I think this is probably important as we try to understand anointing, um, how does a triune God, we talked about that, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, even interact with us? And this is an ultra simplification, but I'm going to do it anyway. Repentance, um, getting right or, or confessing sin, is done before a Yahweh God, a holy God. Um, we're saved and redeemed by. Jesus, that's right. And then we're actually filled and empowered and anointed by. The Holy Spirit. Now, do I think you ought to walk around in like Walmart or, you know, Harris Teeter and go up to people and tell them you're anointed? I don't recommend it. I, you know, I just don't. In, in fact, uh, I'd have to actually ask Abby, but I don't think I ever probably use that word. It just like I'm, I, I, it's like there's a, even a presupposition. Was worship this morning, <clears throat> excuse me, this morning anointed? Well, if the Holy Spirit of God used worship to touch David's heart. Is it then anointed? Yeah. But I don't know that I'm going to stand up here and say worship was anointed. I mean, I think I, I guess technically could. Okay, so uh, there is an anointing, if you want to cross-reference 2 Peter 2.9 or Revelation 5, 9 and 10. There is this idea that every believer in Christ is actually anointed with the Holy Spirit. If you're filled with the Spirit, if you're in Christ, if Christ lives in you, then you are anointed. You're anointed. There's the priesthood of all the believers. Now, let me, let me shift or pivot here just a second. There's also an idea that I think you ha we have to open if we're going to responsibly look at this. Is, are there unique anointings or callings? If anointing is synonymous, Old Testament with oil, with the Holy Spirit, New Testament, if this oil is synonymous or the, the um, anointing is synonymous with the Holy Spirit, then are there unique callings uh, that the Holy Spirit puts on each of us as believers? Yes, it's spiritual gifts. We could go to, I realize this is scripture heavy this morning, um, but we could go to 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, charismata, but the same spirit. Who's the spirit? The Holy Spirit. So I would even begin to open this door here that you have a responsibility, if you're a believer in Christ and if Christ is in you, to actually seek him and find what is your unique calling? What is your unique gifting? What has he called and created you to do? And if the word anointing makes you feel weird, then don't use it. The question is just one of calling. What has he created you to do? And then go after that with some level of fervor because there is a purpose that is on your life. It's interesting because I just read a study that someone did, and there's three ways that people look at their um, physical jobs. And some people look at their job um, just as something that provides for them. Okay, some people um, look at their job like as a career and they're like advancing in a path. Um, some people look or work at their job as a calling. In other words, they, there's a higher pursuit of contributing to the greater good. There's a sense of mission. And I, I wrestled with that because God is not and will not guarantee that every believer everywhere is going, your, your occupation is not necessarily your calling. Okay, those are different. So take the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul's occupation was what? Tent making. Okay, he makes in, in leather tents. We're going to get back to that as we continue on in the book of Acts. But what was his calling? 
He's an apostle. He's preaching Jesus. He's planning churches. He's leading people to Christ. So your job and your calling aren't necessarily synonymous. But this study that I read was so powerful because the happiest, most fulfilled, most content people are actually ones who in this life grasp that they have a calling or an anointing, a unique gifting that the Holy Spirit of God has put in them. And in their journey of life, they are about finding that, not just earning a paycheck and surviving. You hear me? So like that is one of these, there is a unique calling or anointing. And I think we even get to see it on Jesus. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Okay, so that's part of the calling or the anointing of the Lord Jesus. Now, I think we get into difficulty here because people's ego and ambition gets into the picture and some don't like their anointing because it doesn't result in a high profile. We get frustrated, we get disappointed, we get our feelings hurt. And you, you, uh, Paul actually um, likened this um, to parts of the body. Some are more for noble use, some are for not so much noble use. But regardless, there's a unique calling that we as people have. So I'd actually say to you, what are your God-given gifts? What is your purpose? What is your calling? And have you opened the door even to read um, that 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 4 through 11 to even go, Lord, what are my unique gifts? Okay, let's ask this question for just a minute. Um, Is it possible to lose our anointing? Is it possible to lose the Holy Spirit of God. This is a trick hard question. This is a theological conundrum. Here we go. We're going we're gonna to do our best here. So uh, the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, uh, 9, Paul says, is given as a deposit or a seal on the heart of every believer. Okay, so in that sense, if the Holy Spirit is given to us, we are also anointed. Okay, so... Uh, in the same way that you're not going to lose your salvation. So if I choose to go live a life of sin, am I going to lose my salvation? No. In the same way then, in terms of like the universal anointing on my life, because at some point I've given my life to the Lord Jesus, am I going to lose that anointing? No. But here's what it does say. Ephesians 4.30 and 1 Thessalonians 5.19 talk about grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit of God. So in a universal sort of big picture theological sense, am I going to lose my salvation? Absolutely not. Am I going to lose that same anointing that accompanies my salvation? No. But if I am choosing a, a life of rebellion or resistance against the lordship of Christ Jesus, and I'm going to go my own way and do my own thing, and you've got to like change your American mindset of um, rebellion is not necessarily drinking and chewing and partying and all the garbage that most people think of it as. Rebellion is, the, is a sin in the human heart that exalts its will against God and says, no, you're not God, I am God, and I'm going to do what I one. And what you want might be to go out and have a big, beautiful career and house and home, or it might be to go be, you know, I don't know, homeless, or go be, I mean, you could be anything you want. Your choice of rebellion can manifest itself in any number of ways. So you have to be very careful that we don't judge people externally and say they're not, um, they're, they're, they're grieving the Holy Spirit of God. So let me see if I can tie this together. Um, if I'm in Christ, and we talked uh, last week about um, saved being this verb, where you were saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. Well, well, being filled or being anointed is also a verb. So you were anointed, you're being anointed, and you will be anointed. So in the moment that Michael hardens his heart against the things of the kingdom, against the things of Jesus, and I walk away from him or move away from him, I am now grieving the Holy Spirit. And what's the Holy Spirit do? He's going to back up. So I'm left to live life in my own steam. And that's how you get, like, um, you get Christians who are living sort of the Christian life Um, but in an unempowered way. Remember how I said God the Father is the one we go to to repent. The Lord Jesus is the one that saves and redeems us. The Holy Spirit is the one that fills us and empowers us or anoints us. That's right. So it's possible to live the Christian life in a very carnal, unempowered way. It's very sad. 
Uh, somebody said, I couldn't find who said it, but somebody said, if the Holy Spirit of God departed from church, 80 or 90% of people wouldn't even know the difference. That's terrifying, isn't it? It's terrifying. So can you lose your anointing? In a universal sense, no. If you're saved, if you've given your life to Jesus, if you've extended or you've exchanged your brokenness for the life of Christ in you and through, you're not going to lose that anointing. But here's the thing. I don't just want to be saved universally or anointed universally. I actually want to live moment by moment, day by day, uh, knowing the Lordship of Christ Jesus, abiding in the person of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to live angry and impatient and frustrated and blah, blah, blah. No, no. I want to, I want to live full of the joy of the Lord, the hope of the Lord, the peace of the Lord, so that as I'm navigating through life and Abby and I and our kids and whatever in ministry and business and life and everything we do, that we are actually experiencing Experiencing the fullness of life in Christ because life is so good that way. It doesn't matter what happens or how difficult it is. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. No matter what you're navigating through, the, uh, the presence of the Lord Jesus is now with you. You are not grieving the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God, you're, you're in him. He is in you. And you are navigating that way. So can we lose the Holy Spirit, in a universal sense, no. In a grieving sense, the Holy Spirit of God is such a respecter of your will that if you say no to the Holy Spirit of God, he will say, okay, I'll back up and I'll be over here. Let me know when you change your mind. Abby and I do this with our kids all the time. You gotta finish your sandwich before we go to the pool. I don't wanna finish my sandwich. That's no problem. I'm gonna be sitting over here. I'm ready to go to the pool. It's no problem for me not to go to the pool. I have things I can do. I'm going to hang out over here. Let me know when you finish your sandwich. We'll go to the pool. Now, why are we navigating with them like that already? Because I am not training them to be robots that obey when Michael says... I am training them. We are training them to be little people that understand how to exercise the freedom of their will. And if they want to sit there and stare at their sandwich for two hours and not go to the pool, then do it. Abby and I will go hang out in the living room and enjoy ourselves. Right? I mean, you hear me? It's the same principle as the Holy Spirit. This is an ultra-simplification, and I'm not, I'm not meaning to be too simplified, but it's the same as the Holy Spirit of God. You have a calling. If Jesus is in you and you are in Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God is in you. If you've been filled with the Spirit, you are anointed to actually shift your work, your neighborhood, your friendships, every sphere that you are entered into. You are anointed to become a carrier of the very kingdom of God and interject that type of freedom and life and hope and joy, no matter how how dark and bleary or, or dreary things seem, you are anointed to carry that type of power and hope into every situation. But it's our choice, right? Just like the pool, as silly as that is. Ezra, when you finish your sandwich, we'll go to the... I don't want to. We do this all the time. Like, in, not just the, in every situation of our life. We just do it. And I am committed, and I don't do it perfectly. Half the time i got to go back and ask their forgiveness or Abby's forgiveness. But we are committed to raise little people who know how to exercise their free Because they're going to spend the rest of their life deciding, is it going to be their will or God's will? Is it going to be my way or the way of the Holy Spirit? Am I going to choose to live under this um, anointing or infilling power of the Holy Spirit, or am I going to go do my own thing? And if you want to go do your own thing, hear me loud and clear. The Holy Spirit loves you so much, he will just back off and say, okay, let me know when you change your mind. And he'll sit over and occasionally he'll go, I'm here when you want to live a life that is full of joy and hope and peace and purpose. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy doesn't mean it's going to be free of trials and temptations, but it will be fulfilled and powerful and anointed by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, if we're honest, let me open this up too. If we're honest, I think most of us on any given day or week have moments where we harden our hearts. I'm angry at you, Lord, for fill in the blank. I harden my heart. I distrust you. And the Holy Spirit, I believe in his graciousness, just waits. And then as we begin to soften our hearts, he's there with us. We're not grieving the Spirit, and we're walking with him. Okay. Am I making sense? Okay, so are you anointed? If you're in Jesus and Jesus is in you, 
Are you anointed? Yes. Do I think we need to be a church that goes around and slaps that word on everything? No, I don't. I think God calls us to make it easy for outsiders. And if you go around at the mall today and yell at everybody that you're anointed and God wants them to be anointed, they're going to go, what a weirdo, right? But positionally, we are called as a priesthood. Um, we are called to be kings, priests. You are, it's the priesthood of all believers. You are anointed in Christ. Okay, um, let's go back to my opening uh, sort of questions. Can a song then, now remember, Old Testament inanimate objects are anointed. New Testament, we don't really see inanimate objects being anointed. Can a song be anointed? Worship was anointed this morning. If by anointed we mean that the Holy Spirit of God used that song to impact Emily's heart, then I think that's a fair use of the word. I think you have to consider the ones you're interacting with and prefer them in your conversation. Okay, um, can a person um, be anointed? Technically, are we all anointed? If we're in Jesus, we're all anointed, yes. Can a person also have unique charismatas or gifts of the Spirit? Yes, and are we as believers called to find out what those are, ask God, seek God, receive that revelation, and then walk in them? Yes. Now, here's where um, using that word anointed gets a little bit dicey in my mind. Go back to my silly football example. I'm playing football with the kids. I turn away. I get hit with a football. Knocks my teeth out. I have to go in for oral surgery. We end up leading the nurse to Christ in the process. Was the football anointed? God uses all things together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. So if you're willing to surrender every part of your journey, no matter how difficult it is, laying it before him and calling on the infilling power of the Holy Spirit of Jesus in your life, asking to understand and access the kingdom of God and allowing the kingdom of God to move in and through you, then all things work together. So can God even use the football? Yes. I'm not sure that I'm willing to say the football's anointed. Okay. And, and, and the problem to me when you get Christians running around saying that was an anointed sermon or that was an anointed song or that was an anointed football is the breakdown happens in this like, is everything then anointed? Well, God can use everything, so could it be? Well, the Holy Spirit can use it, so okay, maybe. Now, let's even open this door as I wrap up for just a second. If I turn on the radio and I hear a song and it lifts my emotions, non-Christian song, is the song anointed? I'd say no. But here's the thing. Uh, Romans, I think it's 1129. I have no idea where it is in my notes. I think it's 1129. If you really want to know, you can come find me afterwards and I'll dig it out. But what it says is the gifts of God are irrevocable. Did God create music? Yeah, it was in heaven. So is there a universal anointing on music that whether you're Christian or non-Christian, you can access that gift? Am I willing to say that every non-Christian song that changes your emotion is anointed? No. But here's what I'm trying to get you to begin to understand. And I'm in, this is intentionally a nuanced sermon. I'm not giving you a like one plus one always equals two. No, this is difficult. Like understanding and learning to abide in the person of Jesus. To understand how to walk with him. To choose to shuck like needless religious language. To enter into the important and vital relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. To intentionally bring your life under the Lordship of Christ Jesus. Experiencing the infilling power of the Holy Spirit. Thereby accessing the kingdom of God and then becoming a carrier, a purpose-filled carrier of the kingdom of God into every situation and sphere of your life. That is what we're commanded to do. And if we're walking like that in a joy-filled, hope-filled, Holy Spirit-filled way, there are people everywhere that will turn to you and go, what is different about you? What is different about you? They don't know that you're, what's our word? Anointed. But are we? Yes. Sons and daughters of the Most High. Okay. Worship team, would y'all come out? Wasn't that a good ending?
That was a textbook sermon ending. That's it. That's all I have. Uh, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to close in a song, and uh, I'm going to have you stand up with me, and we're going to worship. And if, if you're here and you're a, you've never believed in the Lord before, I want you just to go, Lord, if you're real, would you reveal yourself to me? If you're here and you would go, man, I want some more of that Holy Spirit anointing. You can call it whatever you want. Um, there's going to be a prayer team up here. Prayer team, if you'll come up. And we would love to pray with you. And as we close, we're just going to worship Jesus. And then I'll close us in a prayer in just a minute. If you want to come up and worship in this little space in the front, feel free. If you want to sit in your chair, feel free. Lots of freedom around here. If you want to come up and get special prayer, please do. Let's join in and worship, and then I'll close this. Oh, my words are short. I've got nothing new. How could I express all my gratitude? I could sing these songs. As I often do, every song must end, and you never do. So I throw up my hands to praise you again and again.
Father, we don't pretend to understand all the mysteries of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we don't pretend to understand all the mysteries of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But Father, we do bring you our hearts and bring you our lives and we surrender them before you and ask that you would raise each of us up to life with you, Christ Jesus. Father, I pray that whatever it means to experience the full infilling power of your Holy Spirit in our lives, that you would allow us to walk like that. Father, as we go from this place today, I pray that this body of believers would experience your great grace upon their lives. I pray they would sense your gracious hand guiding and leading. Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you are doing and to participate with you in it. Father, I pray that we would be a body that accesses the unseen kingdom of God and participates in bringing that spiritual reality into our lives. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we worship you. I pray that as we exit today, that you would watch over each person, each family, going before and coming behind. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast of Saltbox Church. If this content was helpful to you, please like it, rate it, review it, and share it on social media, as that is helpful to us. We believe when a person grows in their own Jesus journey, everyone around them benefits and gets better.